Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining us to break down the week in media and marketing is Brittany Rigby. Hello. And Zoe Wilkinson. Hello. Later, we'll be talking to Nine Radio's content boss, Greg Burns, about making it to number one in Brisbane. We're making changes um, to a talk audience who traditionally doesn't like change, so we know this will take time. Being on the lookout for a local drive host. He's, he's a Queensland boy, obviously Queensland breakfast sorted, maybe K-Running Drive in Brisbane. <laughs> and we'll be talking to Nine's new 4BC Brisbane breakfast host, Neil Breen, about connecting with a new audience. As terrible a thing as it is for society, it's an asset for us. It's a story for us to connect and engage with people. And how politics shape talkback radio. I'm not going to judge that issue along party lines or along ideology. I'm going to judge it on where are we right now. But first, the week's topics. The shop closure of Ken Daly. Bauer tells the market that everything's great. <laughs> the ACCC's radical ideas for a news boycott. And the radio watchdog gives Alan Jones a final telling off. So let's start with what seems to have become a customary roundup of how the industry is coping in a COVID world. Um... Brett, you wrote this breaker. Ten is closing its web offering, Ten Daily, at the end of this week. And I, I must admit, I didn't see this one coming. I didn't see it coming either, and I don't think the staff did. So I spoke to quite a few people who work at Ten Daily after the news broke on Monday to kind of get a better sense of whether or not there were whispers, how much notice they really did have, whether or not it was expected, all of those sorts of things. And across the board, everyone said it was a complete shock. There wasn't, you know, a whisper. There wasn't any speculation. They had, you know, less than two hours notice for this meeting, which was held in person, but some couldn't get to 10's Piermont offices with that notice. Um, And then they were told, you know, this is it. By Friday, it's closed and most of you will be out of a job. So, yeah, particularly since... They were told four days after the site's second birthday and a lot of the staff were posting birthday messages on Twitter, you know, commiserating about the state of BuzzFeed and the fate of its local newsroom. It was it was a shock for all, I think. So Viv, when um Ten Daily launched, they were they were pretty late to the game, sort of with this sort of generalist, I guess popular publishing product and I must admit I was pretty cynical and if I had one little twinge of guilt over sort of the last few days since seeing this is it began to strike me that 10 daily was quite good and there were a number of times at various points where I almost mentioned it or I most mentioned in best of the week hey it's been a bit of a surprise and it always seemed a bit patronizing so I never quite got around to uh to doing so but um they were actually quite a good product by the end I thought well, look, it's interesting that they've chosen now to close because 10 Daily launched in an attempt to claw back digital audiences from rivals because platforms such as BuzzFeed, Mamma Mia, Punky and Pedestrian 
we're capitalising off so many of TEN's youth-orientated programs, such as The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise, and writing listicles and funny articles and doing video recaps of those shows. And TEN suddenly realised, why are we letting other publishers monetize our content when we could be doing it ourselves? So when they did launch, TEN's general manager of digital, Liz Baldwin, said it was about using TEN's already existing engagement. So I know that programs like that are on hold at the moment, but when they inevitably come back, TEN will no longer own that digital, social media engaged audience and Mamma Mia will go back to doing its recaps. Obviously, BuzzFeed won't because they're not in the local Australian market anymore, but Pedestrian presumably will continue to do that and so will Punky and 10 just won't own that. Like they'll put the content on television, they'll put it out on their streaming service, 10 Play, and it just feels like a wasted opportunity not to have a publishing platform to support those shows. I suppose the ultimate question must have been they just weren't bringing in the advertising revenue at the moment and presumably didn't see much prospect of delivering it. I mean, when you say at the moment, though, Tim, obviously everyone's first thought is, okay, this is another COVID, you know, victim. This is the latest casualty. But Bev McGarvey very clearly said in an email that she sent to staff that we got a hold of, this is not a reaction to the current situation. This is part of a broader strategy. And yeah, I think you're right in that I'm not quite sure if, like how much I believe that, but also surely if it was COVID-induced, perhaps it would have involved more of a scaling back than a complete shutdown. Um, But I think Viv's right in that given the purpose of it to begin with, it's a strange move to then hand back all of the power to rivals. Zoe, what do you think? I think to Britt's point, if Bev McCarvey's email is to be believed, and this is a wider move from Viacom CBS, I'll be interested to see what 10 as a network looks like in about 12 months' time because Viacom CBS is a very entertainment-focused business and we know that 10 has another multi-channel coming down the line although we don't know what the content will be on that. So I'm, I think that what will come from this is 10 will have a completely different model to what we see from its competitors on free-to-air networks like 7 and 9. Tim, do you think it's interesting that the 10 executives, Beverly McGarvey and Rod Crosser, their chief sales officer, went on a bit of a PR publicity push last week, including coming on the Mumbrella cast, the week before they announced 10 Daily's closing and other redundancies such as their head of sport, Matt White. Do you think that's just fortuitous timing or do you think there was some uh, good planning going on there? Oh, look, I'm kicking myself a bit. You, you, you think you should always ask a kind of covering question, I know. I sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? Any more bad news coming up or something? But yes, I'm certainly kicking myself for not checking in with them about 10 daily because, um, yeah, you know, in, in retrospective, I should have asked about that one. Um, it's It's been a week, actually, or a couple of weeks of us having bad luck in timings with our recordings with broadcast company executives. Um, later in this podcast, um, We'll be having a chat with the people from uh, Nine's radio offering. Uh, and you might notice there's a big question I don't ask them, uh, which I will um, explain about afterwards. 
Well, while we're talking about, I guess, the week in publishing and against the economic backdrop, um, Viv, uh, Bauer, Bauer Media, they've been making some pretty bold claims about subscriptions this week. Yeah, look, Bauer, like most media companies, is uh, suffering from that conundrum where there's no advertising dollars, but allegedly on the readership and engagement side, everything's awesome. Uh, So they released some figures talking about how subscription sales have surged by over 60% compared to the prior month. Uh, The Australian Women's Weekly is a particular standout with a subscription increase of 97% compared to the previous month. Now, a cynic might say it's easy to get a 97% increase when you start with a very low number. Uh, That's what a cynic would say. But, I mean, there is no doubt that media companies are benefiting from people engaging with print products more and engaging with traditional media more. But I don't think that means Bauer is out of the woods in terms of uh, all of their titles surviving this pandemic. Look, and I wonder whether some of it as well is with people just being at home more, not in the shops as much. Um, They've not been picking it up on the newsstand. So if you have got somebody who always likes to read the the publication and normally picks it on the newsstand and cares enough, then maybe that's potentially what's driven a subscription perhaps? Yeah, I think people are definitely loitering less in supermarkets. So we know that people are ordering online more and we know that consumer behaviour has shifted and so you're far more likely to just want to get in and out of the supermarket rather than stand there at the checkout flicking through NW or New Idea or the Australian Women's Weekly. Uh, It's quite a different purchasing habit though to decide to subscribe long term than just pick it up off the shelf but Bauer did say they've seen a shift to longer term subscriptions rather than just the three-month introductory offers. Uh, but even Brendan Hill, the CEO of Bauer this week, has insisted that there are absolutely plans to reinstate the titles that it has suspended due to the pandemic. So they're still pushing the line that print is okay, their mags are okay, and everything's fine, even though they have garnered themselves a lot of negative headlines this year. Look, and something we wrote about since the last um, Umbrella Cast was the update to staff from Bauer because, of course, they'd had them take over Pacific magazines, um, which was certainly something of a communications disaster with all the mysterious court case going on between the two before the deal was completed, etc. Um, it does feel like they've come out and communicated a little bit better this week. Um, they, they, I guess they're, they're drawing a picture of, hey, we've actually got something the market might be interested in. Whereas in the previous weeks, it felt a bit like the end of days for magazines in Australia. Um, do, do you think they are getting slightly on the front foot now when it comes to their communications? Are they doing it a little bit better? Yeah, look, Brendan Hill was definitely largely unavailable for the past couple of weeks, Uh, couldn't comment on the merger, couldn't comment on all the staff that were stood down, couldn't comment on the future. They've obviously realised that as a communication strategy that doesn't work and it just breeds anxiety and fear and the belief that Bow was about to exit Australia completely. So he's come back now, he's talking more to market, he's talking more openly to staff and saying that, you know, all of their titles do have a place in the market. 
all of their brands will come back to print and there is a strong future for this combined company. So silence as a strategy didn't work. So now they're obviously going for positivity as a communication strategy. Look, and one number I thought that, that was interesting and what came out in his, his, his Zoom address to staff, which wasn't in the uh, wasn't in in his notes that was somehow reached all of the trade press was the SMI numbers just how standard media index just how bad the spend out of media agencies was suggesting that um, in the segment of magazines in the luxury and health area eighty percent drop in revenue and uh, a fifty four percent fall in the magazine um, sector overall which just goes to show just how how bad things have been for advertising-supported media. Yeah, luxury is definitely an area that's really suffered. A lot of luxury lift-outs from newspapers have been paused because it's just not where consumers are spending at the moment. Even if people haven't taken a pay cut or haven't been stood down, the consumer confidence isn't there and everybody feels like every day they're still employed is a luxury. So they're not going to be going out and buying those expensive goods that are advertised in those types of publications. So I can see why Bauer and other magazine printing companies would not be pulling in a lot of dollars from the luxury segment. Do you know, I think the only luxury item I've bought in the last month was I spent so much time in uh, track pants, I had to go and buy another $8 pair from Kmart. Well, there you go. Luxury lifestyle of Tim. (laughs) I I, I don't think we're going to spend our way out of this recession, thanks to me. Next, The Week in Adland. We now turn to the week in advertising with Zoe. Let's start with Audible. They've been naughty. I don't know whether you would call it naughty. I just think they were unfortunate in what has happened this week. So a campaign for Audible that features Celeste Barber, the comedian and MasterChef contestant Po Ling Yao. Umbrella's um, favourite brand spokesperson. Yes. Um, the ad that they both featured in was um, pulled by the Ad Standards Community Panel, which is the industry watchdog, um, because there's a scene in the ad where Celeste Barber appears in Poe's fridge, and this is actually uh, quite a common safety hazard for children who sort of pick the fridge for a hide-and-seek location and there's been issues in the past where children have gotten stuck. And so the ad standards panel uh, thought that depicting this in an ad would potentially act as a demonstration for kids as, you know, this could be a cool place for you to hang out. So effectively they've ruled that under the sort of expectation of safe community behaviour, that breached it. So they'll have to be a re-edited version of the ad without that scene. Yes, that's correct. So when the complaint came through to ad standards, uh, Audible gets the opportunity to respond to the complaint. And while they did defend it saying it's, adults shown in the ad an adult in the fridge so and the ad went to air during programs that um, adults watch and children don't really watch they also 
voluntarily pulled the ad and said that they would modify it to remove the scene, uh, which ad standards obviously happily agreed to. I'm changing topics slightly this week. Um, the beginnings of domestic tourism's return. Uh, let's start with Destinations New South Wales. We're living in the present, the dream of the future. You've dreamed of places you'll go, new adventures, space. So you can't travel the world right now. So what? New South Wales is here for you. The time's coming when we'll all reboot 2020, one unforgettable experience at a time. Until then, love New South Wales from home. Yes, so Destination New South Wales launched a domestic tourism campaign last Friday during Tourism Australia's hour-long feature on the project. And this campaign from Destination New South Wales uh, continues on the brand platform that they launched during the bushfire recovery, which was Now's the Time to Love New South Wales. Um, The key for them really is to get people interested in the state. It's the largest state for domestic tourism in Australia. I think it accounted for something like $43 million last year. So yeah, as we see restrictions start to ease, it's going to become really important, I think, for New South Wales to get people exploring. And we also saw a new campaign from South Australian Tourism Commission too. Yes. So the messaging for South Australia was welcome back. So I think they are ready for interstate visitors, not just people exploring the state themselves. Um, South Australian Tourism Commission has actually been advertising throughout the coronavirus crisis. We touched on a couple of weeks ago, they had an ongoing campaign called SATV, which was like a lot of content across social media and their own website, highlighting different businesses and tourism regions in the state. Um, The two ads between uh, New South Wales and South Australia, they look very similar, but they also strike a very different tone. New South Wales sort of, it seems a bit more picturesque, whereas South Australia has very upbeat sort of powerful music running alongside it. So I'm interested to see because they launched roughly at about the same time, which one will pull through a bit stronger. And then we also saw uh, Sunshine Coast weigh in as well. Yes. So this is a a bit of a different campaign and obviously for a slightly smaller tourism body. What Visit Sunshine Coast is doing is they have put up on their website, a number of different sound clips from different locations and tourist attractions, such as the Australia Zoo, uh, up on their website and Facebook page, inviting people to sort of guess where that sound came from within the Sunshine Coast. Again, marketing to a slightly different group of Australians because at the moment in Queensland, you can only travel 150 kilometres away from where you live and only for the day but in June you'll be able to travel from a 250 kilometer radius so for the Sunshine Coast that covers Bundaberg, Toowoomba and the northern New South Wales coast and the key for them is really hitting the upcoming school holidays with this campaign. Then at the moment I guess pretty much most advertising takes place in some way against the backdrop of the coronavirus. So uh, 
Didi, the car share service, and also Aldi, the supermarket, both weighed in. I like this Aldi one because finally someone is actually taking the mickey out of the word unprecedented. We're coming to you live from the scene. Tell us what you've got there. Toilet paper? Ah, just dinner stuff. Right. You must have paid an unprecedented price for that during these unprecedented times. Ah, they're from Aldi. Prices are always low. Whatever happens, our low prices are here to stay. Aldi. Good. Different. Yes, I think we've all been making fun of the word unprecedented. Everyone has now been placing it in inverted commas when they write it in emails and in stories now. But it's been... I really enjoy this campaign from Aldi. I mean, they've used the context of coronavirus crisis and also the panic buying that occurred at supermarkets but they're continuing their ongoing strategy which is making people aware of their low prices so really their communication hasn't changed that much in the grand scheme of things and I think the way that they've done this is quite smart. Yeah and they found a way of keeping their sense of humour about it as well. Yes, as we all know, Aldi's ads do take a bit of a quirky standpoint when you compare them to Coles and Woolworths. So they really haven't like lost their brand identity throughout the crisis. And then the other ad it'll be interesting to talk about, to Didi, the car service, the rideshare service, which is doing cheap journeys for healthcare workers. I must admit, I felt that this one might be just a little bit exploitative. Tell me about the DD campaign. Can I sure. take a phone call? Yeah, Is that sure. okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Hello? Uh, ma'am? Uh, actually, this is for you. Really? All right. Oh, hello? Hi. Hello? Listen, I know it's probably a bit weird, but I just wanted to tell you about an experience I had. Yeah. About five weeks ago, I was feeling really quite sick. So a friend ended up taking me to hospital, and well, you can imagine what they tested before. She took my heart rate. She said, "Oh my God, your heart is racing." And then I went to stand up. <laughs> I just passed out. The next thing I know, I'm in a wheelchair. They're moving me over to ICU, and I'm kind of a bit faint. And uh, there's people in hazmat suits. Yes, so as we just heard, this campaign has three different healthcare workers in a DD ride on the way to work and while they're in the car, the driver gets a phone call and tells them it's for you and it's a recovered COVID-19 patient and the phone call from the patient is very emotional. Honestly, I mean, I personally don't know anyone who has had coronavirus, so for me it was quite confronting. I'm not sure what the rest of the market will think but I quite enjoyed the emotion behind this it's I, it felt it's not like the ads we've seen from all brands saying oh we're here from you and it's all clips of people sitting around at home trying to make that emotional this was genuinely emotional I must admit I found it a 
tiny bit cynical, just as much as, and obviously you can't see this when we're talking about it now, but the fact that there are, there are at least a couple of cameras in the car, there was one seeing things kind of from the driver, from the, from the front, but then the other camera must have been right in the face of each of those passengers. So how much of a surprise could the whole thing have been when there's obviously a fairly elaborate camera rig sitting in front of them and presumably they'll have signed documents to say they're willing to be in an ad. So I, I just don't, I, I don't feel that it can have been as real and authentic as it was being presented. I mean, it's not unusual for if you go into a rideshare car for there to be like a GoPro or a dash cam like up the front. So I wouldn't really, if I was a passenger, I don't think I would clock that. But the one in the passenger's face, you make a good point. That would be kind of weird. Something I did want to ask your opinion on though, Tim, because a small critique I have is, do you think this ad lacks a bit of brand saliency? Like in retrospect, like in a week from now, will you know this was a DD ad or will you think this was for Uber? That's a very good question. Yeah. Because is it for the, um, for the, the brand segment rather than a particular brand? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's one that, uh, Certainly, people, consumer psychologists like Adam Ferrier would argue, don't research your segment, uh, research your brand. So why does why does DD stand for it? Hey, I suppose yes, they're 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 doing a and I don't see the Weasel words up to, but up to fifty percent off rides for healthcare workers. But you know, I think uh, all of the rideshare companies are, 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 are busy laying claim to that territory. So. Um, yeah, look, I think that's a very good question. Next, one last ticking off for Alan Jones. If you haven't already, it's time to start thinking about your Mumbrella Awards entries. With the first entry deadline closing next month, you haven't got that long left to polish off your entries and submit at the reduced fee. Award entries are always a great place to pause, reflect and celebrate the campaigns, people and companies positively shaping the media, marketing, advertising, PR and production industries. There are 30 categories up for grabs. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash Mumbrella Awards for more information. He's only got a few days to go before he finishes at 2GB, but Alan Jones has had a final telling off from the broadcasting watchdog. Brit, what did the ACMA have to say about Alan Jones this week? Well, look, it wasn't his biggest fan. Um, Neridori Lachlan, who's the chair, said that his comments went uh, kind of far beyond any sense of decency and that he did breach the code when it came to that decency requirement. And which comments are we talking about? So we're talking about the infamous comments made last August now in which he said that Scott Morrison should shove a sock down Jacinda Ardern's throat, that he hopes that Scott Morrison gets tough here with a few backhanders and I hope he goes for the throat this morning. So those were the the comments that he breached uh, the decency requirement with regards to. Viv, we've talked about Alan Jones a number of times and obviously talked about him when he announced his retirement from radio. It felt that the backlash to those particular comments were 
was some sort of watershed when it came to the the, the challenges for the advertising salespeople at 2GB uh, and the advertising environment around Alan Jones' breakfast show. Do you do you think that moment those comments were commercially significant? I think they were commercially significant. We've had brands going on and on about brand safe environments for quite a while now. And there's also been an increased focus on domestic violence and that line that former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull used to trot out a lot, which was that not all disrespect towards women leads to violence against women, but all violence against women starts with disrespect. So for Alan Jones to be employing such violent language here when there's such a focus on violence against women, it becomes a real problem. And and so many brands are taking a stance with the likes of White Ribbon Day and programs around educating men around violence and all sorts of things that it became a bit of a, the, the values didn't align when they were trying to do one thing, but then were seen to be aligning with Alan Jones, which is what led to the the strong online backlash and that pressure from certain groups on 2GB and on Alan Jones to apologise and for brands to pull their money from the program. And I found um, uh, the timing quite interesting as well because presumably the ACMA, once they learned that Alan Jones was about to retire, must have been in a proper race to make sure that Alan had to read out the apology before he went off air. Yeah, I don't don't know that I agree, though, with how ACMA has approached this and that a lot of other steps they could have taken to punish him or to punish the broadcaster, they've basically said, don't worry about it because you're about to retire. And I I don't think that that's how things should work. I don't think you can just say, oh, well, you're off air in a few weeks, so, so there's no consequences. They also tried to dismiss what Alan said as as accidental and there's, you know, he has been lauded as a great orator, a groundbreaking broadcaster, unparalleled. That man does not say anything by accident. So to excuse it as slip of the tongue, accident, don't worry, he's an old man who's about to retire is so at odds with the eulogy we've given his career. So at one point he argued he meant put a sock in it, not put a sock down her throat, am I right in remembering? Yes, and then that would be fine perhaps if that was the only comment he said, but we just heard Brittany list list off the other ones, which include, you know, a few backhanders. Backhanders are violent. Uh, Going for the throat is violent imagery. So I understand that in live broadcast you can get tongue-tied, And maybe he did mean put a sock in it, which is far less violent. But the combination of everything that he said, to me, for someone as accomplished and articulate as Alan Jones, is not a mistake. Mm. Great. Now, this might be the last time we talk about Alan Jones, so this is your chance to (laughs) write the the obituary on his radio career. Well, I think Viv's commentary is interesting because it's not quite clear when the investigation started or when this investigation report was written it stretches to over 20,000 words so it's very comprehensive but the licensee Harbour Radio did say in response to the complaints that the broadcasting question was not gratuitous or baseless criticism of anyone but a criticism of Miss Ardern's conduct in public office nor was it intended or directed at women generally 
Mr. Jones did not intend to convey any violent metaphor. The words spoken were accidental. So, I mean, the thought of it being accidental is just comical and ACMA completely dismissed that claim. But the the correction he made on air in response to this ACMA decision was actually about factually inaccurate climate change comments. So he hasn't really had to do anything else so far as the Jacinda Ardern comments go. ACMA said that his apology and his actions and the actions of Macquarie Media were kind of enough to satisfy them, particularly because he's going into retirement. And I think I agree with Viv that it seems a little soft and I wonder, you know, okay, well, if he wasn't wrapping up in a couple of weeks, what would he have had to do instead if the only reason why you're kind of suspending the decency breach is because of his retirement? You know, what would happen to someone in his position who wasn't retiring in a couple of weeks? It seems a strange mixed message to send when ACMA was so clear about how kind of improper and inappropriate the comments were. Look, for people who aren't that familiar with the ACMA, it's probably worth spelling out the the range of sanctions they have is a bit weird, really, and that they've got this bunch of stuff at one end, which is you can attach conditions to the licence or agree with the licensees that they have extra training for, for staff. And then broadly, you almost have to jump all the way through to risking losing your licence. There isn't much in the middle when it comes to kind of punishing misbehavior which was always something which which raised a lot of questions when um back when uh, back when Carl Sanderlands was a bad boy mm. are you saying he's not a bad boy now Tim well, well well I guess we'll find out when we all watch 60 minutes uh, over the weekend and 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 find out whether he's a reformed character <laughs> I should also add that we're talking about kind of the violence of the language and the gendered nature of the language part of the investigation was to see whether or not there was a breach in that he, you know, incited or encouraged violence or incited hatred against or serious contempt or ridicule on the basis of gender and then also ethnicity and race, considering he was talking about um, the Tuvalu region in the Pacific and climate change. And he didn't breach those rules. He didn't breach... Uh, you know, those conditions, which was interesting. I mean, you know, there's obviously very specific definitions attached to words like incite and encourage, and ultimately it was found that he didn't do those things. But, I mean, if we're talking about wrapping up Jones's career and, you know, how illustrious it's been, he also has the reputation for being, you know, the most ruled against radio presenter when it comes to ACMA. So I think that that's... uh, that's something that I'll always remember. Well, later I'll be talking to Alan Jones' successor in the Brisbane breakfast slot, Neil Breen and Neil's boss, Greg Burns. Next, could the news publishers boycott Google and Facebook? The ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, has been given the nearly impossible job of refereeing the fight between the traditional news companies and the digital giants. Viv, this week they set out some ideas about how they're going to do it. Um, What is the ACCC thinking? 
Look, this is basically a brain dump of everything the ACCC is thinking and it reads a bit like a university student who can't quite decide on which argument to pursue so just keeps saying, on the other hand, but this could also be true or perhaps this option because basically they have to present a concepts paper to the market of all potential avenues to get Google and Facebook to pay publishers so that then the market can come back to them and give them feedback. So this is them laying out all the options and all the frameworks that they could pursue to force Google and Facebook to pay, uh, but it doesn't sort of give me any indication of, of where they're going. The most interesting one that caught my eye, of course, was the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission recommending that perhaps publishers could engage in a collective boycott which uh, doesn't feel super in the spirit of competition. In fact, one could argue it's anti-competitive to band together and encourage a boycott, but that is one option that they've said could force Google and Facebook to rethink and pay for news. Next, we talk to the man who'll be replacing Alan Jones. So back in October, Nine completed its takeover of Macquarie Media. It means Nine is now the custodian of big radio brands like 3AW in Melbourne, 2GB and 2UE in Sydney, and 4BC in Brisbane, amongst others. Six months on, Nine's radio strategy is beginning to become clear. Joining me is the man responsible for content across the network, Greg Burns, and new Brisbane breakfast host, Neil Breen. Greg, I'll start with you. You joined Nine Radio back in November. Tell me about what you've already changed from the content strategy side of things. Well, Tim, quite a few changes, as you'd be aware. Um, certainly, we've we've reset and we've um, freshened up the lineups, particularly in Sydney. Um, and with uh, Neil joining us in Brisbane, that will be a big change. Uh, There's been a lot going on in a short space of time, uh, but it's all come together very nicely as I sit here talking to you today. We're just um, sticking with you for a moment, Greg. So that decision to return to a standalone 4BC Brisbane breakfast show, whereas before it was networked out of Sydney, um, what what led to that decision? Well, we've always, from the outset, we, we, uh, we had a focus on local. And then Alan's decision to uh, retire from radio um, meant that that really fast-tracked Brisbane because Alan was obviously being networked into Brisbane. There is no one else like Alan Jones. So um, that created an opportunity and uh, it's happened very quickly, but uh, we've had our eye on Brini um, for some time. Um, Neil did and he can correct me on this, um, two-odd years on a Friday night show on 2GB. Um, <clears throat> wonderful profile, wonderful ped- pedigree, uh, um, ticks a lot of boxes for us when we look for talent. And um, we knew he was keen. So uh, when when Alan uh, said, it's um, time for me with radio, we'd move very quickly, uh, which Brini would admit to, and uh, he'll be on air in Brisbane uh, Monday week. And we're very excited for it. 
Well, Neil, this is a good moment to bring you in. I guess you've got that sort of, if you were to create a list of the things you'd want for someone who's presenting a city-based talk show, you've done sport, you've been, you've covered the police beat as a journo, you've edited a newspaper, you've, you've, you've been behind the scenes in TV, you've been in front of the camera in TV. Um, what sort of show are you going to do? It'll be a new show. News, sport, information, entertainment, like a, a classic breakfast radio show but built for the people of Brisbane and the people of Queensland. I, I just think if we're on air from 5.30 in the morning till 9 in the morning, it should just give them all the information they need to know and entertain them. You know, obviously, churn through all the news, big interviews. We want to be talking to the Premier. We want the Prime Minister. We want all those big hitters. We want to talk to people who are in the news just so you be, you can be informed and you can take away from the show, well, I, I know now what I need to know for the day. It'll be a, a classic breakfast news information radio show tailored for the people of Brisbane. And it's like it's something I've always wanted to do a radio show and I, I did that one here at 2GB for a couple of years and I filled in for Fordo on his show and I, I even did money news quite often for Ross Greenwood. I just love information. I just love people and that's just what I want to give people. And the, the other thing is I want to talk to them. I, I'm absolutely determined for, for people to phone in, to tell me their stories, to engage with the program, engage with each other, especially you know post well, during coronavirus and the recovery out of coronavirus. I just want to be really at the forefront of that. And have you had a chance to think about yet what your daily routine is going to be? I know famously Alan Jones would apparently set the alarm for 2.30 a.m. Have you, uh, have you decided what time you're setting your alarm for for the first day? 2.30 a.m.? <laughs> Not 2.29. I, I, I think I don't reckon I'll need to set an alarm for the first day. I, I think the first day will take care of itself. And I know from my time on the Today Show and also as a very young journalist when I first started, at the Daily Sun in Brisbane, which was an afternoon paper, and I was on the 5am shift for two years. You know, it can get a little bit ropey a couple of days of the week, but, yeah, look, I I don't have any qualms about getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I think the key – look, I truly believe the key to the show is this. You're on air from 5.30 to 9. It's coming at you thick and fast. You're concentrating hard. The secret is to walk away from it, you know, have a post-show meeting, talk about it, just because the show ends at nine and a typical working day, you know, if you worked a normal job, you'd be working from nine to five. Just because you can sit around till five doesn't mean that you should. And I actually think it's the wrong thing you, you should do. You should go away, think about it. Through the day, you'll be taking in news anyway. I, I listen to the radio. Well, I, I sleep with a, a transistor radio next to the bed and I put it under the pillow when I wake up. My my wife, it, it drives her crazy, but, you know, she's had to live with that for 25 years. And you just listen to the radio, listen to news, read websites, your brain's ticking, you're working whether you're at an office or not. And then late in the day, you start thinking about where we're heading towards tomorrow. And that's how I want it to work. But I'll be up early, I'll go to the station, get ready to rock and roll. And one of the things I did, Tim, like, I joined Brisbane Golf Club when I was 17 years of age and I've always said the first thing I'll do when I go back to Brisbane is rejoin Brisbane Golf Club and you'll be happy to know I've rejoined. I'm back in. So I intend to play a bit of golf too. Uh, And it's all about the contact building as well, of course. (laughs) I think so, yeah. 
<laughs> now, I guess two of your your biggest gigs, certainly if you look at your kind of career history, were editing the Sunday Telegraph in Sydney and as uh, EP on the Today Show, which obviously are big teams of people. Um, do you do you think having that new perspective, sort of the, having that different perspective, is something that will change how you go about doing that radio show? Absolutely, I think. Um... So I've been, I've just ticked over 30 years in the business and every job that I've had along the way, I've, I've learned from. And w- when I was younger, I was, I was quite driven and I became sports editor of the Korea Mail in my 20s. And I, I did that job for Chris Mitchell, who was editor in chief of the Korea Mail, that he went to Sydney and he brought me with him to be the sports editor of the Australian. And I was always used at News Corporation as a bit of a change agent. They wanted to change the sports section in Brisbane. So I did that. They wanted to change the sports section at the Australian, so I did that. Hardo brought me on to be the editor of the Sunday Telly, and he wanted change, and I did that. I went to the Today Show. I, probably I made some mistakes at the Today Show in that I brought that newspaper mentality of we have to win, we're going to do this, because the Today Show hadn't beaten Sunrise in a long time. And I just thought, well, what we do here is we just beat them and probably went too hard at the ball. And the reason I'm, I'm saying all these things is that you learn through your career, through your successes, and, and I'd like to think that I've had many, but you also have to learn through your failures and your things that you've done wrong. And one of the great things for me was that when I thought it wasn't working out for me at today, Channel 9 News at that exact same time at the end of 2013 was going to hour-long bulletins. And I knew they'd need more content in news every night, going from 30 minutes to 60 minutes. And I said, I can provide a solution for you. I can go to sport. And going back to not so much basics, but basics in a way compared to editing the biggest selling newspaper in Australia, going back to basics and being a journal on the road again taught me a lot lot of lessons that I'd learned as a younger person. And it it sort of reshaped me, if you like, and it reshaped my head. And, And now going into a radio job like this, I have a completely a different mindset. And I think it's a better mindset. I, I, I think I'm, I'm in a really good place about, you know, how to go about doing a big job. You know, you, you can go too hard at it or not too hard at it. You can do it in a sort of more reasoned way. And, and that's the exact mindset that I have here. And it's a, a mindset that I've developed over the last few years. Well, that question of being number one, and this is one uh, I might go to you first, Greg, but then we'll come we'll come back to Neil as well. Um, so breakfast, the share in the most recent ratings in Brisbane, nine point seven. So that's behind one oh hit one oh five. It's behind ninety seven point three. It's behind Nova. Um, even behind ABC Brisbane. In Sydney, of course, two GB is number one. Melbourne, three AW is number one. What's it going to take for you to be number one in Brisbane? Um, supporting Brainy, you can tell by listening to him that there's passion. There's um, uh, he knows the market. He's um, he's Queensland, Brisbane through and through. Uh, he can spot a story. He can run a campaign. He's um, he's engaging. He's well connected. All the things, Tim, that we look for in talk hosts. So uh, us. As um, as his his managers and his support staff, we literally have to do that. We have to support him. This won't be easy. It never is. New program. We have a wonderful. Uh, the brand is 4BC is strong. There's heritage, so we start from a good base there. 
we have said with all of our changes across the network that um, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. I, I know, you know, that gets banded around a lot, but that is the way we're looking at this. We're making changes um, to a talk audience who traditionally doesn't like change. So we know this will take time, but we're confident with Breeny for the reasons that he's just outlined. He knows yeah, the Neil, audience and he can engage. Neil, same question to you. Are you... You must be thinking a little bit about how do I get to number one? Of course I do. And if you didn't think about that, Tim, you'd be kidding yourself. But I understand the market up there too, having grown up there. And I saw it evolve during my formative years as a teenager. You know, I was at the forefront of it in terms of my age because it was in about 1982 when I was 14 years of age that FM radio came to Brisbane and it was this unbelievable thing we'd been listening to um stereo 10 you know uh radio 10 it was called the old 4ip which was the greatest hit station or, or top 40 station i should say then the fms came in and the fms were able to instantly in the 1980s connect with the audience there was triple m then b105 and those two were at the top of the marketplace for a long time and others had had their runs out of 4bc was kind of always there but it was always just steady uh, 4KQ did things at various stages. And the ABC obviously does what is what it does. And in breakfast for many years with Spencer House, and it was quite strong. So to topple lows, to, to go from fifth to first, will take a lot of hard work, you know, because the FMs bounce around a little bit. The, the, the audience sort of elects one or the other to be top of the survey at, at any different survey, and that they're very competitive. So... We've just got to get into that space and see if we can't convert a few listeners. But we're sitting in the middle of a, a news event at the moment, the, the coronavirus that's struck the globe, really. And we saw in the, the, the last survey that came out right across Australia, the drive for people for information on it. They went to talk radio. Alan had his best results in Brisbane. Um, Ray Hadley had a fantastic result in Brisbane as well, between 9 to 12. And all the results around Australia were strong. So I think it's a thing for us to capitalise on. I, I think, you know, as a terrible a thing as it is for society, it's an asset for us. It's a story for us to connect and engage with people on. So I think that's an opportunity. But I know from the, the things I told you before, um, you know, I had the Sunday telly, which was number one, but the, the empire that is News Corporation wanted it to be an even stronger number one. So that drove me. Then I, I went to the Today Show, which wasn't number one, and I wanted it to be number one. You know, there's a way to get to number one and, you know, you don't have to be there in the first survey. Just hopefully we get there at some point. I was uh, I was reading your uh, your goodbye note to your staff when you moved on from the Today Show and you talked about your catchphrase being Queenslanders are different. I, I wonder how they're different now. They're just so passionate about being a Queenslander, you know, like even, you know, over the last few days people understand that, you know, Brisbane's my home and I'm, I'm just been working somewhere else. And But even some people have gone, oh, this guy's a blow-in from Sydney. And I got offended. I'm not a blow-in from Sydney. I'm a Queenslander. <laughs> Once you're a Queenslander, you're always a Queenslander. And my, my wife is is not really a Queenslander. She was born and bred in Sydney, but she came up to Queensland in her late teens and went to university there. Then we met when we worked at the Courier Mail together and ended up getting married. And she's always horrified because one of my uncles, Vince from from Mackay, one Christmas we were talking about something and he said to my kids, oh, I'm a Queenslander first and an Australian second. And, uh, and my wife was horrified, but I said, well, that's the attitude. That, that's just the attitude. 
you know, it's like state of origin. Why does Queensland want to win state of origin so much? Just to stick it up New South Wales. New South Wales doesn't have quite the same passion. They're, they're just different. Queenslanders just think differently. They just absolutely love the joint and they won't hear a bad word about it. And I totally get it. So, Greg, something else that uh, actually a, a reader threw into the comment thread on Mumbrella the other day, making the point that great to have a standalone breakfast show. How about the rest of the day? Well, certainly, Tim, uh, it makes obvious sense for us that we have a local drive program. And um, we are moving fairly quickly, as you'd be aware, looking across the network, and uh, there will be attention focused there, uh, local local drive in Brisbane. Um, Bruni in the morning to start the day. Um, Ray Hadley with a wonderful... Um, successful network program in that traditional 9 to 12. Uh, Deb Knight, who's doing really well uh, off the back of only two surveys. Again, it's a a long road for Deb, but the initial response has been quite remarkable. Uh, She will continue to do afternoons and then we'll go local drive. And have you decided who will present that yet? Uh, No, we're open to ideas. I volunteered. Um, I volunteered. Any suggestions, Tim, we'll gladly accept those. It needs to be local. Um, did Kevin Rudd put his hand up? The K-Rudd? Well, he did make a pitch. He made a pitch for 2GB breakfast. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a Queensland boy, obviously Queensland breakfast sorted. Maybe K-Rudd in drive in Brisbane. <laughs> he lives around the corner from Cannon Hill. There you go, Tim, you might have it. So, uh, Greg, um, talk radio, particularly uh, for you know for this network, it is an advertising environment. It's commercial radio. You need to attract the audience by your presenter being opinionated, uh, but you've also got to make it an attractive environment for advertisers. Where do you draw the line? Uh, well, being being uh, closely aware of community expectations, community standards, and we've um, we've worked on that. Um, extensively from the beginning of the year. Opinion radio is uh, is always going to be tricky and there's going to, people are going to be upset. Uh, there's always going to be confrontation. It's the nature of the beast. But, you know, we, we put a lot of work into editorial policies, as I say, community expectations, community standards. And I think from a, for an advertiser, they need to know um, it, the content is brand safe, and they're also um, we've also put a lot of work in there. Yeah, Neil. So, how do you think about that? Because there must be some things you stand for that are going to be polarizing, because otherwise you're not an interesting person. So, what what are those things, and how do you find that balance? Tim, I've always I've always seen myself as a moderate. Really, I'm not going to fashion myself into something that I'm not. I've always had the ability and and the thought, probably the way I was raised, um, to, to, I just evaluate every story as I see it, as, as I see fit. I'm not going to go up there and, and say I'm for the Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk and her re-election or I'm for her, she's out, I want, you know, the, the, the LNP to get into government because I'm a right-winger and I'm going to stand for, right, for right-wing things. I'm just going to stand up for Queenslanders. And, and where I see a story like... Should the Queensland border be closed? I'm not going to judge that issue along party lines or along 
ideology, I'm going to judge it on where are we right now? The businesses need it open or is the danger of the coronavirus spreading and killing more old people too great that businesses just have to con- continue to suffer? I'll just do that with every single issue. That's just where I stand on things, on the, the way I think about things. And I, one of my strengths, I think, as a journalist over the years, and, and I'm a journalist first and foremost, I, 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 like, yeah, I've been a newspaper editor, yeah, I've worked in TV, now I'm a broadcaster on radio, but I see myself as a journalist first and foremost. And I just always want to know what's the story behind the story? Why, why is the Queensland government interested in buying Virgin? Is it a stunt? Or is there a reason behind it? Is the reason that they've just put in a second runway at Brisbane Airport, they need to use that runway, they need to support agriculture, the beef industry, the export industry out of Queensland. Is that why they want planes in the sky in Queensland? That's what I'm interested in in, and that's how I'm going to drive it. So you've you've inherited the time slot, as we've been talking about, from Alan Jones. Now, he was obviously a public figure back when you were writing about him during your time as editor of the Sunday Telegraph. Now, when the announcement of the handover was made to Ben Fordham, 2GB in Sydney, your announcement followed a few days later. Is Alan similarly supportive of you in Brisbane? Did you did you ever mend your editorial fences after you moved over from the from the Sunday telly? Well we had a few rough moments along the way and you know I, I always sort of said to people about my dealings with Alan through that time is if you're editing the biggest selling newspaper in Australia and he's the number one broadcaster in the history of Australia and you don't part of heads, neither of you are doing your job properly. It's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, and we did mend our fences and sent each other lots of long emails and I was always amazed by the the, the tone of why the way he'd write to me. They were the most polite blasts you'd ever seen in your life, telling me his thoughts about this story or that story and always signed off with kindest regards, Alan. They're always so long, but we, we communicated quite a bit through that. And then when I was on the road as a, a journalist for Channel 9 and I did quite a lot of stories about rugby and um, Alan was very charitable to me about those things and very interested in how I was going as a, a journalist at, at Channel 9 as opposed to being an EP or an editor. So, you know, I, I think it's fair to say we did mend those things eventually. And has he given you any advice uh, since the announcement was made about your new role? No, I, I haven't asked him yet, but I've, I've in, I intend to ask him next week. I figured he's being bombarded and I'm being bombarded. He's also got an acute problem in his ear at the moment, and that is Ben Fordham. Ben Fordham is soaking up all of his time and being a total pest to him. So I, I think I needed to give him some clear air and um, I'll reach out to him next week. But I'm no Alan Jones. You know, he ran his show. It was the Alan Jones show, really. Um, it was it was what he thought about various things. And, and who am I to say Alan was right or wrong about the way he did things? He had to be right. He had the biggest audience in the history of this country and he knew what he was doing. And I think the key for me is to not go up there and try and be Alan Jones. It's just try and be myself and see how I go. If I last half as long as Alan, I'm a genius. Now, just before I ask Greg about the wider network, one more very important question occurs to me, uh, Neil, which is um, theme tune. So I know Alan Jones famously had Gloria. <laughs> I, I believe you're a bit of a Bruce Springsteen fan, so I'm, I'm hoping you're going to be digging into the boss's back catalogue. Well, 
<laughs> when you're developing a radio show, you're thinking, oh, we're going to get this guest and that guest and we're going to do this and that and the other. We spent a lot of time on the theme. Yeah. We, we had a big meeting about it today. And um, <laughs> the boss will feature, okay, the boss will feature in the show little playoffs and things like that. I am a little bit partial to a couple of songs at the moment that we're trying to make work. Um, I don't know Greg, if Greg wants me to tell you what they are. I'll give you a, I'll give you a clue, Tim. I, I spoke about it earlier about the 1980s and what influenced me and Triple M and B105. Um, 80s rock music all the way. So I, I think it'll be in and around that area. With a, with a touch of local. Yeah, with a touch <laughs> of local. There, there was a big there was a big Aussie band, Tim, and they were my age. And um, the lead singer uh, went to a school that was that we competed against a lot and I, and I knew him very well. We used to go watch him do acoustic sets at the port office back in the day and um, I'm hoping he maybe gives us permission to use one of his songs. Oh, well, I will, I will wait with interest for that, what turns out to be. So, um, Greg, I, I wanted to touch on 2UE as well, um, sort of going back on your own career. You know, you've previously said that one of your mentors in the business was John Brennan the man who brought talk radio to Australia, made to UE, Australia's biggest radio station for a time. So you must feel the weight of history a little bit. Um, you know, before being acquired by Nine, there were various, I suppose, I'd put it as indignities for 2UE, you know, went from talk to lifestyle to sport, now back to music. Um, is it settled now? And is how do you actually get value out of a kind of second network when you've got those strong sort of first string talk networks? Well, Tim, the, the music really complements the talk and it is settled. So you mentioned 2UE, but then 4BH in Brisbane and, and Magic um, in Melbourne and the new brand that is 6GT in Perth. And as far as... Uh, the weight of expectation. I've got to tell you, it was pretty special being involved in um, bringing 2UE and the 4BH and the Magic Brands back. Having worked at particularly at 2UE for many years, that was not many people get to do that, and particularly a heritage brand like that. Uh, it's certainly settled. We're, we're looking at, at you know each um, we're forever. It's a small team. Um, Matt White is uh, running the music for us. And we have uh, weekly catch-ups, and you'd be aware that Stevie Jacobs is uh, doing uh, breakfast at the moment. We are looking at uh, expanding that um, across the network. It's it's um, a lot of music, which Breeny was only telling me today. He's thoroughly enjoying. Um, God love you, Breeny. I think it's uh, it's good. It's good. And um, you know we we are. We're uh, trying to find some real creative advertising solutions in there and bringing clients and really allowing clients to have some input into, you know, hours of content. Uh, we need more voices. And um, it's actually very exciting. And, and it does complement the talk. It's, um, I mean, previously there was, a, um, there was advertorials running through Talking Lifestyle and there was sport. A lot of um, crossover in that in, in those two formats. Obviously, with the music and the talk, there's no crossover, and the response has been um, really encouraging. And um, there's limited advertising on there at the moment, which makes for more music. And hey, that's what we're all about. 
on a, on a music network. Neil and Greg, thank you both very much for your time. Cheers, Tim. Good talking to you, mate. Thank you, Tim. And in case you were wondering why I didn't just ask Neil Breen and Greg Burns about the ACMA ruling on Alan Jones, we recorded the interview that you just heard on Wednesday afternoon, a few hours before that ruling was published. Before we go, Budget Direct is proud to announce that it's once again won CanStar's National Award for Outstanding Value Car Insurance. The 2020 win makes it an unprecedented 14 years in a row that Budget Direct has won this coveted award. For more information, just head to the Budget Direct website. And on next week's Mumbrella Cast, I'll be talking to the new CEO of MNC Saatchi, Justin Graham, about taking over an agency during a pandemic, whether strategists can make it as CEOs, and if he'll change the culture of the agency group. Join me then. That's it for this week, though. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to give us a rating on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Toodle pep.